So the book of Revelation has gotten a lot of criticism over the years. In fact, it's long been criticized as being violently judgmental. In fact, it's problematic for a lot of people. God is constantly judging humanity with suffering, even death. There's just way too much of God's judgment, a lot of people feel. Well, you want to know a secret? We all want judgment. We all want judgment. We want to see wrongdoers punished. When we read of someone shot in St. Paul, uh, there's been 20 homicides so far this year in St. Paul alone. We want that killer caught and judged fairly. When we hear that the Southern Baptist denomination has buried literally hundreds of allegations of abuse of women by church leaders. I personally want to call down God's judgment on them. When we hear the Supreme Court make decisions and release announcements, we hope that they're judging impartially and not simply echoing partisan politics. You see, we all want judgment. But often we each can want a different outcome of that judgment. Some people want justice for innocent victims. Some want punishment of criminals. Some want accountability for men in power, such as politicians, pastors, or the police. Some want equal treatment under the law, especially for people of color. And some might even just want public shaming on social media for a restaurant that treats its employees or its customers unfairly. See, we all want judgment, whether it's for justice, punishment, accountability, or equal treatment. We all want judgment. But if that's what we want out of judgment, what does God want out of judgment? Revelation is literally full of God's judgment. It's about half the book. But what does God want out of all of this judgment? If we want things like justice, punishment, accountability, what does God want? Well, so the answer can be found in a very unusual place. The crazy guy on the corner. Maybe you've seen one of these guys. Maybe, maybe you've seen him in a movie, crazy hair, a little disheveled, mumbling to himself or shouting out loud. It's the crazy repent, the, guy, the, the end is near guy. Well, just because he's crazy doesn't mean he's wrong. So in the Bible, God's purpose for judgment is always... It's to call people to repentance. To drive people away from their rejection of God. And to turn people toward God. So why all the judgments? Why all the judgments? Repentance. So let's take a look at some parts of Revelation. And see if that can help us understand. And we can see what God does. 
and we can see how people respond. So we're in the middle, of the sec- the middle section of the book. And in this, in this middle block, there are three sets of seven judgments. Okay, we, last week, we talked about the seven seals. Today, we're talking about the seven trumpets. And in a couple weeks, we talk about the seven bowls. And rather than seeing these as a sequential linear timeline, think of it more as retelling the same story, the same themes, three different ways. You go forward and then back again and then loop again and then back again. It's like an apocalyptic Groundhog Day. You're just watching the same set of events over and over again, but they're told in different ways. So today we're talking about the second round of events, the second telling and retelling of events, and of these judgments. And so rather than scrolls and seals, like we talked about last week, this week it's trumpets. And, and no, this is not at all an automotive funnel that I bought at Menards because the guy at the music store wouldn't rent me an actual trumpet because I've never played it before or any musical instrument whatsoever. So I don't know what you've heard, but this is a trumpet. So we are in the section of trumpets. Why trumpets? Quite simply because trumpets announce that something or someone is coming. And so today, we're going to cover four chapters. That's a lot of Bible to talk about in a 30-minute sermon. So it's going to be fairly high level. We're going to skip over some stuff, summarize some stuff, but then also read some stuff. And I I highly encourage you to read chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11 yourself. And like, if only we had some way to do that, like, I don't know, like a summer Bible reading plan. Go grab, you can still jump in, that's all right, just jump in right, or, or, or on your next drive, start listening to the Bible, you'll knock through the first eight chapters in just a few commutes. So I highly encourage you to read all of it, because there is some amazing detail in this that we just won't be able to hit. And so we're going to start with an overview, and then go to a Bible Project video, and then we're going to dive into some of the passages. So let's start with an overview of chapters 8 through 11. Here it is. So it begins with the prayers of God's people. And then it goes to trumpets one to four. That's sort of a chunk. And then it goes to trumpets five and six. Those sort of go together. And then there's this interlude. It's like a little intermission in the middle of the trumpets where there's a story of an angel and John and a a smaller scroll. And then there's, there's this little parable story of two witnesses. And then finally we get to trumpet seven. So that's the outline of these four chapters. Prayers of the people, trumpets one through four, five and six, a little interlude intermission, and then trumpet seven. So let's see what the Bible Project has to say about this to help us understand this long and sometimes confusing passage of the book of Revelation. 
With the seven trumpets, John backs up and he retells the story again, this time with images from the Exodus story. So the first five trumpet blasts replay the plague sent upon Egypt, and then the sixth trumpet releases the four horsemen that came from the first four seals. But then John tells us that despite all these plagues, the nations did not repent, just like Pharaoh didn't in the Exodus story. So it seems that God's judgment alone will not bring people to humble repentance before him. Then John pauses the action again with another intermission. An angel brings the unsealed scroll that was opened by the Lamb. And just like Ezekiel, John is told to eat the scroll and then proclaim its message to the nations. Finally, the Lamb scroll is open, and now we will discover how God's kingdom will come here on earth. The scroll's content is spelled out in two symbolic visions. First, John sees God's temple and the martyrs by the altar, and he's told to measure and set them apart. It's an image of protection taken from Zechariah chapter 2. But then the outer courts in the city are excluded, and they get trampled down by the nations. Now, some think that this refers literally to a destruction of Jerusalem that happened in the past or will happen in the future. But more likely, John's following the tradition of Jesus and the apostles who all used the new temple as a symbol for God's new covenant people. In that case, this is an image about how Jesus' followers may suffer persecution by the nations, but this external defeat cannot take away their victory through the Lamb. This idea gets expanded in the scroll's second vision. God appoints two witnesses as prophetic representatives to the nations. And once again, some people think this refers literally to two prophets who will appear one day in the future. But John calls them lampstands, which is one of his clear symbols for the churches. So this vision is more likely about the prophetic role of Jesus' followers, who are to take up the mantle of Moses and Elijah and call idolatrous nations and rulers to turn back to the one true God. But then, all of a sudden, a horrible beast appears. Let the reader remember Daniel chapter 7. And the beast conquers the witnesses and kills them. But then, God brings them back to life and vindicates the witnesses before their persecutors. And the end result is that many among the nations finally do repent and give glory to the Creator God in the day of the Lord. Now, stop. Think about the story so far. God's warning judgments through the seals and through the trumpets did not generate repentance among the nations, just like the Exodus plagues only hardened Pharaoh's heart. But the lamb, he conquered his enemies by loving them, dying for them. And now the message of the lamb's scroll reveals the mission of his army, the church. God's kingdom will be revealed when the nations see the church imitating the loving sacrifice of the lamb, not killing their enemies, but dying for them. It is God's mercy shown through Jesus' followers that will bring the nations to repentance. And this surprising claim is the message of the open scroll that John has placed at the exact center of the entire book. After this, the last trumpet sounds and the nations are shaken as God's kingdom comes here on earth as it is in heaven. So now we know how the church will bear witness to the nations and inherit the new creation, but who was that terrible beast that waged war on God's people? And how will the whole story turn out? John will tell us in the second half of the book of the Revelation. So verse 8-1, we're going to start at the beginning and it begins with opening the seventh seal, the last of the scrolls and seals from last week. And that last, that seventh scroll, seventh seal, begins the next wave. It begins the first trumpet. So let's read. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about an hour, for about half an hour. 
And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So this begins with something we saw back in chapter 5. This idea of the prayers of God's people being represented by incense. And this censer is kind of an incense holder an incense bowl. And so we see that, we actually see that all throughout Scripture, and we're going to come back to that a little later in service. But that's, that's the prayers of God's people being symbolically rep- represented as raising up like the smoke from incense. So if you've ever felt like your prayers don't go anywhere, or you're kind of praying to a brick wall, and I certainly know I have, If you've ever felt that, what this passage says is, that's not true. God actually stores up your prayers. And then at some point, these prayers get released with all the prayers of all of God's people across all of time. God hears your prayers. God hears my prayers. Then the first of the four trumpets blast. Or something probably sounding much better than that. That's only, you can only do so much with a funnel, I mean a trumpet. So the first of the trumpets blast. And so these trumpets, these first four trumpets cover things like, so one is the hail and fire mixed with blood. Number two is a burning mountain that turns the sea into blood. Number three is blazing stars that make fresh water bitter. And the fourth is the sun, moon, and stars go dark. Now, if any of this sounds familiar, it's probably because it is. If you grew up going to Sunday school, or maybe you've read the book of Exodus, or even seen the movie Prince of Egypt, awesome movie, by the way, highly recommend it then you might recognize these are the plagues of Egypt with Moses and Pharaoh. These are right out of the the plagues. And yes, that is exactly what God is doing. These are meant to mirror the plagues of Egypt. Because if you remember, the, the purpose behind God's judgment, any of God's judgment, is always repentance. What was the reason behind the plagues of Egypt? Pharaoh's repentance, to break Pharaoh down so that he would release the Israelite people. As Moses cried over and over again, let my people go. So when, when in Revelation, when God echoes the, the plagues of Egypt, he's doing so, and it's the same reason, repentance. But if you know the story Pharaoh didn't repent. His heart got harder 
and harder. The plagues got worse, and he got more stubborn, more angry. And this continued until Pharaoh lost his oldest son. And that broke him. And he relented. See, God judges sin. Whether the slavery and oppression by a world leader or anger and selfishness in you and me. And God calls every one of us into repentance just like he did with Pharaoh. So those are the first four trumpets. Now trumpets five and six are really different. See, these are these instead of plagues, these are more like invasions. So the fifth trumpet releases a fallen angel, a demon from the abyss. And we don't know much about this abyss yet, but we're going to get a lot of it in the next couple weeks. So, but it's, it's a fallen angel. It's a creature from the abyss. And with it comes a horde of these crazy scorpion locusts with armors and people heads and crazy stingers, and, and they're released to torment people. And the torment is so bad, people wish they could die, but they wouldn't. And then the fifth trumpet, the fifth trumpet released a, some type of demonic army of millions, millions on horseback that killed a third of humanity. Now, there are a couple things that make these two trumpets different. So first is they are distinctly demonic. We don't really see that in the first four trumpets, which are more sort of God-ordained, uh, unnatural disasters. But these are distinctly demonic, and they're distinctly warlike. They are invasions, invading armies. But the other thing is that God is in complete control of them. He releases them. He sets their limits. He gives them rules. These are not simply evil spirits let loose. They are under God's control the entire time. And there are a couple really interesting verses amidst all of this. So the first one is about the locusts. Let's read this. It's verse 4. These the scorpion locusts were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. This is also reminiscent of the, the Exodus story and the Passover. And in a few weeks, we're going to be talking about the mark of the beast, which pops up now and then, and it all gets all sorts of uh, press among Christian writers of what's the mark of the beast. But it's really important to remember that that, that idea of a mark of the beast did not come out of nowhere, because there is a mark of God also. Something much larger. But we'll get back to that in a few weeks. So, second, the second thing in all of this, here was the people's response. Listen to this. The rest of mankind who were not killed still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons or idols, nor repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. After all of that, they still didn't repent. 
That was Pharaoh. And I think if we're honest, that can be you and me sometimes also. We can be rather stubborn. See, remember, the purpose of God's judgment is always repentance, to turn away from sin. And repentance demands a response. Repentance demands a response. And in this case, it was stubbornness and hard-heartedness. But that's not the only possible response to this. So if we go forward a little, if we jump ahead to chapter 11, we see that interlude that I was talking about, the in-between the trumpets, that intermission. Okay? And it's meant, these stories are meant to encourage the church to, to faithfully endure, to keep going when it gets hard. So they're meant to encourage the church. And, and one of the stories involves these powerful witnesses who could do miracles. Now, whether these are human evangelists, whether these are angels, we don't really know. But these witnesses were then killed. They were killed by this beast that we heard about in the video, this beast from the abyss. It could be a demon, an evil spirit, possibly Satan himself. And the people of earth gloated and celebrated at the death of these two witnesses. But then, three days later, they were resurrected. God resurrected them and took them up to heaven. Now, if that sounds familiar, yeah, that was exactly what happened with Jesus. And then this happens. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. Several thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now, we don't typically think of being terrified and turning around to give glory to God. Because we've sort of, the, the church in modern America has sort of swung away from that type of communication of the the guilt of heaven, the shame, and the, or the guilt of hell, and the threat, and all of that. But the reality is, that can still turn us to God. A fear of what could happen if and when we turn away from Him. And if that fear draws you back to God, or to God for the first time, that's okay. Now we can't live in that fear. That's an unhealthy way to live the Christian life. But it can draw us back to God out of fear. So two groups of people, two different responses to God. Remember, the purpose of God's judgment is always repentance, to turn away from sin. And repentance demands a response. There's no neutral response to a call to repent. You either do or you don't. You either say yes or you say no. There's no neutral response to a call to repent. Because repentance demands a response. 
So this passage wraps up with the seventh trumpet. It says this. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Then the 24 elders get on on this, and they start saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants and prophets and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. See the seventh trumpet? The seventh trumpet initiated God's rule and reign. It is finally announced. It finally has begun. Now, this, this little piece chronologically fits more toward the end of the book. But remember, this is a cyclical telling. This isn't a linear series of events. So we got to the seventh trumpet. We're going to go back in the next few weeks and revisit judgments. But what this is saying is that seventh trumpet name means that God's kingdom has come. It's no longer a prayer we say, thy kingdom come. It is now here. It begins. And, and in that, as part of God's kingdom, evil will be judged. Evil will be judged. And righteousness will be rewarded. And all of God's people will finally be able to experience God's fullness and his presence. So another chapter ends with another worship session. A worship session of God and the Lamb. And that's the response God wants. So God calls people to repentance. And repentance demands a response. There is no neutral response to this. You either do or you don't. Either you see God's unequaled power, his absolute sovereignty, and you turn to him and recognize him for who he is, or you don't, and you turn away from him, and you reject his presence, his power. And you close your eyes and you harden your heart and you turn away from him. Repentance demands a response. There is no neutral. You see, I believe that most people reject the judgments of the Bible, not because they believe it's untrue or immoral, but because they don't want to look at the wickedness inside themselves. See, we all want judgment. We just don't want it for ourselves. We want judgment against those people, not me. 
those are the bad people. But I'm generally a good person. I'm not like them. We all want judgment. We just don't want it for ourselves. But the Bible challenges us. It challenges us to admit that we have wickedness inside us. That we are selfish. That we hurt others. We worship idols of our own making. We refuse to give up some of our sin. We murder with our words, lust with our eyes, steal people's joy to feed our own insecurity. We all have wickedness inside of us. But in Christ, you can be forgiven. The slaughtered lamb is victorious in defeating sin and death. In him, you are transformed. You are transformed from being drenched in sin to being robed in white. And all you have to do is repent, is to turn away from your sin. You admit your sin. You turn away from it and turn to God. You ask him to give you a new heart and a new future with him. Repentance demands a response. So what is yours going to be? So I want to give you some time after the sermon here to pray. And we're going to echo something that we've seen in Revelation and actually all throughout the Old Testament is we're going to pray with incense. Now, incense has been a part of the Christian church and the Jewish temple for thousands of years. In fact, when we look at Scripture, we can see from the very beginning the creation of the temple in Exodus 30. God commanded an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. And in Revelation, when we, when we see a reference to the golden altar, that's what it is. It's the incense altar. And then later in Psalm, we see it come up there. And it says in Psalm 141.2, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up my hands be like an evening sacrifice. And then we've seen it twice so far in Revelation. First in Revelation 5. Each of the four living creatures and 24 elders were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And then today in 8.3, an angel was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people rose up to God. And so we're going to have a time of prayer. And I've got some incense here, which I'm going to light. And now, the incense doesn't actually carry up our prayers. Jesus Christ did. 
but it's a wonderful symbol of what it looks like for our prayers to be lifted up to heaven. And as I do this, you can watch the smoke. And picture those as your prayers. And whether whether your prayers are great or small, just like the passage talks about, God hears them. Whether you're a prayer warrior or a prayer novice, God hears them. And so today we're going to take some time to pray. And if you're not sure what to pray, I've thrown up some starters for you. You can simply pray those. If you're comfortable praying out loud, I would even encourage you to do that. We're going to spend a few minutes giving you a chance to pray. And maybe for some of you, maybe this is even your first time praying, something that's not in front of a meal. Then God will hear your prayers. They'll be lifted up as incense. And I'm going to walk the room and let you smell and let you see your prayers and the prayers of everybody rising up to heaven. God hears your prayers. He stores up your prayers. And so we're going to take a few minutes to pray. I encourage you, if, if you love praying, if you're led to pray, pray out loud. If you're nervous to pray, you can pray quietly or even to yourself. But repentance demands a response. What is your response going to be?